Hello and welcome everyone. I am Kale Flegge and this is the Made in Gainesville podcast. On this show, you'll hear stories and get insights from business owners and leaders from across the nation that have ties to Gainesville. Today's guest is Rick Staub, CEO of Intermed Group, a national provider of integrated healthcare technology management services, which employs 150 people. Also, Rick and his wife founded the charity Tyler's Hope, which aims to find a cure for dystonia, a rare neurological movement disorder which affects two of their children. On this episode, Rick and I will discuss Intermed and why Gainesville is a great fit for the company. We'll also discuss the progress being made to find a cure for dystonia, as well as his heavy involvement in the community. Enjoy! What brought you to the Gainesville area? I was, my parents lived in town, and I was, after graduating from college in Virginia, I was on my way down to start a job in Pompano Beach, Florida, and stopped in for some downtime uh, in Gainesville, where my parents were. Okay, and then, so how did Intermed start, and how did you become involved? Intermed started uh, as a result. I worked for a company that did the same thing as what Intermed does, uh, and the owner of my company was getting a lot of his properties back in Nicaragua, uh, and he essentially put me in charge while he was going down and and uh, getting some of those properties back. I so I learned the business and went a separate way. I tried to buy the company at one point, tried to get some investors together and got really uncomfortable with borrowing that amount of money. Uh, And so I started my own thing and and developed those relationships and uh, joined up with a a friend that was in the same business doing a different part of the business uh, when we first started Intermed. So what exactly does Intermed do? provide services to anyone that has medical equipment. So we call it now HTM, Healthcare Technology Management. Uh, We've expanded a little bit of that, but it's the same services for veterinary practices. They just deal with animals instead of humans. Uh, But we repair and service uh, all the medical equipment and manage all through uh, regulatory compliance and other issues. And what kind of equipment is that? Anything, anything medical. So it's uh, MRIs, CTs, X-ray equipment through infusion pumps and monitoring equipment. Anything that comes in contact with a patient. And when did Intermed get started? Really, in nineteen ninety-two or three. And how much has it grown since its beginnings? Well, it, it, it was very uh, focused in this region, uh, meaning we, I think we did a little bit in Williston and in Gainesville, uh, but it's grown uh, nationwide. Uh, most of our engineers and our work is done on the East Coast, but we have developed into another part of that service called cybersecurity profiling for hospitals and institutes that have taken us in 48 out of the 50 states. I've been out to your facility on 441. I see a lot of equipment out there. Do you guys repair the equipment on site or does it actually have to come back to your warehouse to be repaired? 98% of what we do is on site. So we repair the equipment that's, that's on site. And what we use in the warehouse is we do some depot work where it makes sense and is, is more efficient. 
but most of the equipment that you see in there is trade-in equipment that we use for training, for parts, and for uh, we'll recondition them and, and resell them to people that need it. What is the most exciting thing in that space right now? Just the space itself. Uh, and I say that because every day you get to help people. Uh, you know, it's it's healthcare uh, for a myriad of reasons. That's very important to me. Uh, but everybody that works with us, I think, has that same attitude that we're doing things that maybe help diagnose your mother or your sister or your brother or whoever else is uh, your loved ones uh, and affect a lot of people by the knowledge that we have and doing that efficiently. You said Intermed started very locally and has grown to be a national company. Uh, Do you see as it continues to grow it being ever relocated away from Alachua County? We had that opportunity, and it's a constant pressure, uh, but we chose to, to stay in Alachua. We looked all over, and the rewards for staying in Gainesville, Alachua County, is, uh, were much greater, we thought, from a culture standpoint, from uh, what we're, we were able to do uh, that I can't foresee us moving our corporate headquarters now the way we provide our services we have people in-house at certain hospitals so we really have local hospitals in the communities where we provide the services but one corporate office where we do all the accounting and the other support staff is all here you said it's a good fit to stay in Alachua County because of the culture but are there any other reasons why you don't move the company since you serve nationally no, that's mainly it. I mean, the, I think the people and the community and the quality of life are the reason why we uh, chose to stay in in this area in our community. That's a that's a big thing. I think nowadays, and we deal with technology, but technology allows us to really work wherever we want to work, and so traffic and some of those other things that you get in the bigger cities uh, are the reason why we chose to stay in in Gainesville there's there's other things in this region too Alachua Gainesville uh all the community is very strong and the culture is that we help each other out you always see and you can access uh both from the from the people that live in this community and their mentality towards growth and and helping those that are from this area to the talent and and higher education at the University of Florida and Santa Fe College where we can take projects and help develop certain things that it's easier for us to access that and have a greater impact than if we were to go in another community. So do you have a lot of employees that are fed out of University of Florida and Santa Fe or do you have a lot of people that relocate to Gainesville to work here? I would say, well, we have a lot of employees that are, the majority of our employees come from those programs uh, and mainly from the Santa Fe Biomedical Engineering Program. We were able to, for many years, take part in the developing the curriculum for the state uh, to make sure we stayed ahead of uh, other people. And we've uh, been able to develop internship programs and things to use from there. So we kind of test the waters before we hire them on and and hire the cream of the crop. 
Where do you see Intermed going from here? Nationally, uh, right now we have bits and pieces. There's still so much more we can do. I think uh, we can be uh, one of the top three independent service organizations in our field in healthcare uh, in the nation and uh, the top as far as quality. All right, so just switch gears. Uh, we can talk about Tyler's Hope. Uh, Tyler's Hope is a foundation you started to find a cure for dystonia. Could you explain what dystonia is? So dystonia is a neurological disorder that is not degenerative, but causes uh, when the brain signals get mixed up, it causes uh, a lot of disabilities and lack of control of your muscles. So the best way to describe it is if you try to lift a... uh, glass of water to take a drink you have a relaxing and a contracting muscle but at some point uh with dystonia patients that signal gets mixed up so they both they both those muscles may contract causing it to kind of fight against itself twist up and and uh be painful in some cases so when you say it's not degenerative does a, somebody with dystonia is that they reach a, a point where it doesn't necessarily get any worse Yes. Uh, So usually uh, after onset, a dystonia patient can progress to up to about five years, and then it plateaus. It doesn't get worse and it doesn't get better. It just stays about the same. There are, uh, and by degenerative, uh, I think that's a very important thing. Uh, My mother died, died of Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's is a degenerative disease. 99% 99% of the ones that are out there uh, are degenerative. And when things are dying, when you find a cure, you have to go back and rebuild them, your cells or whatever that is. In the case of dystonia, nothing is degenerating. So when we find the cure, they have they go back to normal life. So it's almost like a, a switch. Once that cure is found... You know, you can basically flip the switch and... Yeah, I have uh, a bunch of different analogies mm-hmm. for uh, for what dystonia is. A lot of times I think uh, when I look at my kids, it's like they're locked in a, in a cage and there's a key. And as soon as you open that up, you're letting them out and letting them do the things that they're... of all their capabilities uh, or, you know, there's all kinds of analogies for... Uh, uh, it's like a light switch. I've always said, you know, it's either on or off. We find the cure, uh, and they're cured, or uh, or you're not. Um, unlike some of those other ones that I described before that are degenerative, that uh, really when you find a cure now, you may prevent someone from getting there. But if we found a cure for Alzheimer's, my mother wasn't going to uh, be cured. And you had mentioned your children. Uh, I believe you began Tyler's Hope when your son Tyler was diagnosed with dystonia. But at this time, um, did you have other kids, and did you know if they were going to have dystonia or not? I've always been around medicine. My father was a physician, uh, and I always worked in this field. And my degree, one of my degrees is in biology. I never heard of dystonia until my son was diagnosed with it. and it's it's rare enough that we were just discovering a lot of things. We had no idea that 
my daughter had already been been born at the time uh also was a gene carrier uh but we had no idea that any of our other kids could be affected my i have a third son that is not showing any symptoms we have not done a genetic test to know if he's a carrier of the gene or not um, because it would just make us look but usually you present symptoms between the age of 7 and 13 and he's not showing any symptoms he's 14 now and uh, active sports active athlete and uh, so we're hopeful that he's past that he's he's one of the biggest uh, proponents and creates more awareness for dystonia and for his brothers and sisters or his brother and sister than anyone I know he's he's really a uh, fantastic uh, person to help us with this fight you said it was a rare disease you know about how many people it affects in the nation 500,000 was the last estimate used to be 300,000 about 25 years ago and there really hasn't been an update to that although 25 years ago they never had a diagnosis definitive diagnosis like they do now so when we talked about one of the preventions that we do when when they discovered the gene which was just about 15 years ago uh, I've I've known people that have had children that have taken that gene out so they knew that they could have kids that were not going to be affected by dystonia and what do you mean by that taking the gene out so in, in vitro, or you you can you can take it's the DYT1 gene. If you are a gene carrier, uh, you have a fifty fifty chance of presenting those symptoms um, or passing those passing that gene along. You that gene was uh, taken out of the uh, uh, the process so that when they had children uh they could make sure that that wasn't going to be uh uh they weren't going to develop dystonia if they don't have the gene now can that sort of gene editing be done with other diseases as well it can but this is a single gene deletion so it's easier with with this you had mentioned alzheimer's disease earlier is there a genetic aspect to that and is that harder to remove than dystonia yeah, so so some of these diseases and disorders have multiple genes that affect them. Uh so it's harder to uh to figure that out. We're just finding out some of the genetic uh abnormalities that go with Alzheimer's and I I'm not I by far not an expert on that or don't know it all, but uh in essence, could if you could really limit it down. I, I, I don't believe that Alzheimer's or I don't know of any other ones that uh, have such a small footprint of that gene that you could uh, basically delete it uh, and make sure that kids don't develop it as you go forward. Um, at what age does dystonia present itself? You mentioned, you know, when your kids were really young, but is it always, is that always the case or does it present itself in, you know, older patients, you know, like Parkinson's would? It, it can. So there's many forms of dystonia. Uh, my kids suffer from 
the genetic form called DYT1 generalized dystonia. And usually that happens, but not in every case. Uh, the symptoms show up between 7 and 13 years of age. Uh, there are cases where it shows up much later in life. Just There are other ways to develop dystonias. Uh, the other two ways that we know of are some kind of reaction, a drug-induced uh, reaction that causes dystonias, and uh, in some cases, trauma, a head trauma. What do you mean by drug-induced? Well, you could take a uh, some some type of medication or drugs that uh, causes your you to neurologically have a uh, a disorder called dystonia, which is mixing up those signals and and making the muscles uh, uncontrollable. So it's like a terrible side effect. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Uh, the foundation raises money to fund research to find a cure for dystonia. Um, I understand there isn't a lot of federal funding for research on this disease. More so now, we're proud to say that we've, we've got... Is that because of your awareness that you built? Some of it. There's other organizations that have created that. And then there's been more of a focus, I think, from the NIH and other uh, places on rare uh, disorders. Uh, such as this still categorized as a uh, a rare disease, rare disorder. Um, but there's been greater impact. There's been a lot more uh, preventions and cures and things found when we focus in those uh, small areas with a, a very focused research. Uh, so the NIH has gotten behind that when you have different groups to support it and kind of uh, – um, match some funds and and drive it in a certain direction. So there's been more interest from the NIH. And then we've also, because of more funding that went into those rare things from organizations like Tyler's Hope, uh, it's been levied or produced breakthrough research that then the NIH gets behind. So there's more RO1 or $5 million grants for dystonia than there ever was and probably in the last 10 years i've seen it increasing on an increasing basis can funding cure this is it i mean is it simply a matter of funding is there like a dollar amount that almost would certainly produce a cure with time yes uh that may change because the value of the dollar changes uh but but time is money and we think that the cure comes quicker with funding enough. If we had $100 million, is what I've said for a couple of years now, uh, then we'd find the cure. This is something that we ha- have a known gene and a known protein, which we, we the body produces in, in these dystonia patients two forms of that protein, uh, the mutant form and the regular form. The mutant form is the one that causes all the symptoms. So... If we can eliminate that and we have this much focus in a certain area, then we can, uh, uh, we can definitely uh, find the cure. All the, all the doctors that I've spoken with uh, also believe it's a matter of time and money. You said, was it 500,000 people in the nation are affected with this? Yes. And $100 million is the, the number that you said. Is there a way to get somebody like you know Bill Gates or somebody just to cut a check and eradicate an entire disease? Yes, that's our goal. I uh, 
you know, I'm sure everyone says that about Bill Gates. So that's a, a, a problem. And what I found is that usually the Gates Foundation and those I've, I've had the privilege of having at a at a dinner out in Las Vegas for a number of years with uh, Warren Buffett, who's also part of the Gates Foundation. But their dollars usually go to things that aren't focused in in just the United States. So eradicating something worldwide, and uh, but it's usually overseas programs, unfortunately. Um, but there are a number of people that can stroke that check. Uh, it's just not as visible. Awareness is a big part of that. It's not uh, something that everybody talks about because when you have dystonia, you don't go on to become a, a movie star or a politician or things like that typically. Uh, so it makes it a lot more difficult to have those voices out there. So what is currently being done to cure this disease? Um, who's working on it? Is there a group at UF that's working on it? So there's the dream team at UF uh, that we affectionately refer to them as uh, definitely a, a culmination of, of some of the best in the world at, uh, at care and research for dystonia. But We've also created these, we call them alignment grants, where it's Duke University or Harvard or Michigan, UAB, uh, Texas, Tennessee, all, all kinds of different people, even the VIB in Belgium, uh, where we get a group of scientists that work together, collaborate. They have, uh, in some cases, weekly calls, uh, but in a lot of cases, they're sharing just their information. Uh to work on the common goal of curing dystonia. So they may have a focus in uh, CRISPR-Cas9 technology or a protein therapy or a pharmaceutical or uh, some other form of that. But we've been able to get them to work together. So, so good research can come from anywhere with good scientists. Uh, so we always keep our eye out. But... It just so happens that a lot of it is at the University of Florida, and we've built upon that. What is the most promising research that's happening right now? Uh, well, University of Florida is involved with it, but, but one of the biggest things that, that was a breakthrough and has gotten additional NIH grant and additional uh, independent organizations funding it, so the return has been great so far, is research that came out of Duke University on pharmaceuticals and a pathway that could eventually uh, cure the disorder. So I heard you uh, have purchased Coach McElwain's old house, and the owner before him had made it you know, very wheelchair accessible. Uh, what was the reason behind that? We went as a part of another charity event to, in, to the McElwain's house when they were there, and weren't thinking of moving or anything else at the time, but noticed that. And when when we found out that that Coach McElwain and and Karen uh, were moving, uh, that he had been fired, the uh, we approached them because we knew that everything in there was perfectly set up for us. It had the ability for. Tyler to have independence in his own apartment, but still be around us 
uh, and it had all the things put in place that didn't look like they were built for disabilities, but ramps around the pool and and transitions, showers, things things you would normally take even in an elevator in the garage. Uh, that that it was the perfect solution uh, for us in many ways. So we made an offer. They originally rejected until they realized who it was that uh, that it was talking about. And to his credit, and to Karen's credit, they uh, they came back and and worked out a deal with us because they wanted to help the foundation and my kids in particular. Well, that's really cool. Now, did he leave anything interesting behind? You know, any cool gator memorabilia? Yes, a lot of. Uh, so anything from gator benches to uh, a one of the neat things it's a toilet paper roller but it's a gator that has the toilet paper roller and then and then just statuary around in the yard or by the pool things like that all the gator stuff I asked him if he didn't mind leaving and then there's things like built-in refrigerators and things like that that have uh, the gator logo on the front. So what has been your, this is a two-part question, what has been your greatest success and your greatest failure? <laughs> so I, but my philosophy on, I, I don't really believe there's many failures. You can fail at a particular time, but until time has ended, you haven't failed if you keep the course. So... I'm not sure I could put one as the greatest failure because if I felt it was the greatest failure, I'd still be working on it. Uh, and so if you ask me at my end of my life, my greatest failure would be not finding a cure for dystonia, but I don't think that that's a possibility because I think my personal belief is God answers all our prayers. It's a matter of when. Uh, and... We can achieve anything if we put our mind to it and believe it and work hard at it. Uh, so my life's goal is to cure dystonia, you know, before I pass on. Um, so if the question were at the end of my life uh, and I had not cured dystonia, that would be my greatest failure. And how about your greatest success? I... I constantly try to create new successes but my you know successes is what you make of it being happy is successful um and so i'm i'm a happy person uh you know i can i can make lemonade out of any lemons uh so it's just a a, a level of success that you achieve and some of those are uh, a business being able to employ a you know, close to 150 people. Uh, Tyler's hope uh, only in the help that it's been able to afford some people and the lives it's affected. There's a number. My my family uh, is a, I think, a huge success. There's so many things that can go wrong or whatever, but but. I think when I think of successes or the things that make me happy in life, it's my family, uh, what Tyler's hope stands for, 
what Intermed stands for and how we're able to grow and what we're able to do with that success. Um, and then there's some other things, how my friendships and my ability to connect with other people are, uh, I think are successful and I'd like to continue to grow on this. You mentioned earlier about being involved in the community. What kind of involvement do you have in the Electoral County area? So before I tell you that, I, I tell you it's really important for us. It's what we preach at our at Intermed Group. No matter where we are, we get involved in our community. I think you get out of the community what you put into it, and there's so many things that we aren't aware of, but once we are, uh, they're really neat things that we want to be a part of. But I'm involved. I'm on the board of directors for Life South uh, Blood Centers for the UF Foundation, uh, even though I don't have a degree from UF, um, the Chamber of Commerce, uh, you know, multiple committees with Santa Fe Co- College uh, advisories, uh, Compass BBVA Bank, uh, just wherever I can. Even I was involved and started the K through 12 program with the Chamber. We have a health ad- advisory uh board now that's really set up through the chamber but to help with uh at the state level medical tourism for our community because we have some of the best care in the world um just a anything and everything uh i don't there's never enough time in the day and i always think i was gonna ask how do you have time to get on get on all of that well i mean i'm realistic about that i i i've done some of it over time, but I don't want to be participate in something that doesn't have an impact. Uh, and that's the same way with business. I won't, we won't just do anyone's business. We have to realize, and they have to be open enough for us to work with them where we can have a real impact on what they're doing. So whether it's boards or, uh, just volunteering some time, Ronald McDonald house or whatever it is, the more we get out there, the more we're involved, the more we get out of it. We Everything we do, we try to be very involved in the community. Uh, and it gives back to us in the way we give to it. But of all the places I've been all over the nation and the world for that, uh, this community is different. And until you've lived here and understand it, it's 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 palatable they they want to see you succeed they want to help and people pitch in together it's it's more us against the rest of the world kind of feel uh we got to help each other and and they do and you'd mentioned that intermed's involved in a lot of the communities that you serve nationally how do you feel gainesville ranks as far as you know the community feel like i said this this is number one we i we've had the opportunity and uh actually been pushed in different directions to go different areas to some great areas in the country, uh, but we chose here and to stay here because of its community. You know, some of it's because the traffic isn't as bad or or whatever else it is. But a lot of it is is really the people that that make this community up and how the community addresses uh, that growth and support that isn't in all communities. Well, Rick, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you very much.
If you enjoyed listening to the Made in Gainesville podcast, hit subscribe to hear from more Gainesville leaders. And please rate our podcast, which will help more people find it. Thanks.